Hi everyone, welcome back to End of the Pod. For those of you who are new here, my name is Lois Mitchell and I'm a third year medical student. Today we're going to be going over breast cancer. This episode is made in collaboration with Aberdeen University Oncology and Hematology Society. So, today we'll be covering what breast cancer is, the epidemiology, pathophysiology, screening, different types of cancer and the treatments. And finally, if you haven't had a chance to yet, please go check out last episode by Nina on prostate cancer if you haven't had a chance to yet. So, to start us off, breast cancer is the most common type of cancer in the UK, with 1 in 8 women developing this disease within some point in their life. Due to the advances in screening and treatment, mortality rates have decreased significantly, but incidence does remain high. The most recent figures from Cancer Research UK reported that around 11,500 women die each year. For this reason, early detection and treatment are essential in order to achieve good survival outcomes of breast cancer. We're hoping that today's episode will guide you through the causes, how breast cancer appears, diagnosis and management of this condition. The development of breast cancer usually occurs due to a combination of environmental and genetic factors. There's no single cause, but we're going to walk through some of the most important risk factors. The most obvious one is gender. Women are far more likely to develop breast cancer than men, and although it's rare, it is important to remember that men are also at risk. Over recent years, there have been healthcare campaigns and media interest in raising awareness of male breast cancer. The second biggest risk factor is age. Approximately 80% of breast cancers develop in women over the age of 50, and is most common in males after they are 60 years old. Women who are exposed to estrogen for a longer period of time throughout their life, which means that they begin their periods early, less than 20 years old, or go through menopause after the age of 52, are also at risk. Regular drinking alcohol or smoking and being overweight or obese after menopause is associated with the development of breast cancer. And the use of combined hormonal replacement therapy is also linked to a slight increased risk in developing breast cancer. There's also a very small increased risk with the use of the contraceptive pill, but it's important to remember that this risk returns to the normal background rate 10 years after a woman stops taking the pill. Finally, most breast cancer cases do not run in families, but mutations in tumour suppressor genes, BRCA1 and 2 and P53 can be inherited. Mutations in these genes put women at an increased risk of developing both breast and ovarian cancers. Now let's have a look at the classification of breast cancer. Breast cancer can develop in any part of the breast. This means that the ducts, lobules or surrounding tissue within the breast can develop a cancer. The type of breast cancer is determined by the cells from which the cancer arises and the invasiveness of it. So we can classify these as non-invasive and invasive cancers. First off, non-invasive breast cancer is broadly categorised into ductal carcinoma in situ and lobular carcinoma in situ. Ductal carcinoma in situ, or DCIS, is a non-invasive breast cancer that develops in the milk ducts does not spread outside of the duct walls or into the surrounding tissue. At least one third of patients with an untreated DCIS develop invasive breast cancer within five years, and the presence of DCIS also doubles the risk of developing invasive breast cancer. Lobular carcinoma in situ, or LCIS, as the name suggests, begins within the breast lobules, the breast's milk-producing glands, but it does not spread outside the lobule walls to the surrounding breast tissue and a woman with LCIS is 7-12 to 12 times more likely to develop invasive breast cancer. Now we will have a look at invasive breast cancer. Invasive ductal carcinoma, or IDC, 
makes up about 80% of breast cancer cases and is obviously the most common. This type of breast cancer starts with a milk duct but then breaks through the walls to invade the surrounding breast tissue. There are several subtypes of IDC including medullary, tubular and papillary, papillary carcinoma. The second most common type of breast cancer is invasive lobular carcinoma or ILC and this makes up about 10% of breast cancer cases. It starts within the breast lobules but is, this is also broken through the lobule walls and invades the surrounding breast tissue. There are other rare types of breast cancer such as triple negative breast cancer and inflammatory breast cancer. Triple negative breast cancer is an aggressive form of cancer and it does not express the estrogen, progesterone or HER2 receptors and accounts for about 15% of all breast cancers. It can be difficult to treat due to a lack of targeted therapeutic options. Whilst inflammatory breast cancer is also aggressive which blocks the lymphatic vessels, this is the drainage within the body and causes an inflamed breast appearance. It is rare as it only accounts for about 1-5% of all cases. And there's even rarer cancers, such as Paget's disease of the nipple, which you may have heard of. This is categorised by eczema-like changes to the nipple, which also might affect the areola. The symptoms with this disease are crusting, scaling and itching of the skin, with or without nipple discharge. Most women with these symptoms have an underlying associated DCIS or invasive breast cancer. Now let's have a quick discussion about how breast cancer normally presents in patients. The most common presenting symptom of breast cancer in females and males is a lump in the breast. A lump may also be felt in the upper chest or armpit. Other symptoms that can appear include changes to the skin such as dimpling or puckering, nipple changes such as inversion, discharge or rashes, a change in the size or shape of the breast, and a change in the colour of the breast, such as it appearing red or inflamed. And although breast pain alone is usually not a sign of breast cancer, a persistent pain in the breast or armpit may require further assessment. Now let's have a look at the prevention of breast cancer, and although it may not be possible to fully prevent breast cancer, it is possible to address certain risk factors that may be associated with it. Like other cancers, there's some risk factors that can't be changed such as genetics or family history. So in these cases, genetic testing and closer monitoring may be required. But the risk of developing breast cancer can be reduced by addressing certain lifestyle factors. These include things such as reducing your alcohol intake, maintaining a healthy weight, being physically active and breastfeeding. Current guidelines recommend that some women who are at a high risk of developing breast cancer can undergo prophylactic or preventative treatments such as mastectomy but this is usually unacceptable to most patients but it is required in some circumstances. Alternatively, estrogen lowering medications can be used to reduce the risk. These include aromatase inhibitors in postmenopausal women and selective estrogen receptor modulators in premenopausal women. We'll talk about these a bit more in a bit. Over 2 million women a year attend breast cancer screening in the UK. The NHS breast screening programme currently invites all women aged 50 to 70 years old to attend a screening test every three years, but women aged 71 or above will automatically not be invited for screening, but they can contact a local breast screening unit and request to attend if they would like. 
Screening is done to identify early cancers in people who appear healthy and asymptomatic. Breast screening is carried out using a test called mammography. This is essentially taking an x-ray of the breast from different angles. The results of this screening test are sent to the patients and the GP via the post. But most women will be told the mammography was normal. Some might be invited to attend a breast clinic for further assessment. Overall, the screening programme will detect early cancers in about 9 out of 1,000 women. The screening test mammography reduces breast cancer mortality by up to 33% in women aged 50 years or older. And although the relative reduction in breast cancer mortality between women aged 40 to 50 is similar, the number needed to treat this is higher. But I was need to bear in mind that younger women tend to have dense breasts, which may lead to a higher number of false positive tests. It's also important to note to not solely rely on screening to detect breast cancer. Both women and men should be breast aware and carry regular self-examination, reporting any changes to their GP. We've included a link to how to do this in the episode description. Now let's move on and talk about the diagnosis of breast cancer. The Breast Triple Assessment is a hospital-based assessment that allows for the quick and early detection of breast cancers. Most people think of this as the one-stop breast clinic, as this takes place in an outpatient setting, meaning they don't need to check in the hospital for it. There are two main pathways that can lead to a referral to the breast clinic. Either the patient is presented to the GP with breast symptoms, and have met the two-week wait referral criteria, or there's been a suspicious finding on the mammogram that requires further assessment. The triple assessment consists of history and clinical examination, imaging and histological assessment. This means to take a sample of the breast tissue to look under a microscope. The clinical history and examination is generally carried out by a breast surgeon. If the surgeon is satisfied that the symptoms are due to an obvious benign cause, the patient may not require any further investigations. But if they think the symptoms require further investigation, Imaging will be the next step in the process. The two main imaging techniques used at the breast clinic are mammography and ultrasound. Mammography at the breast clinic is taken from two different views, which allows to detect any lesions or, or microcalcifications. Microcalcifications are any calcium deposits within the breast that can indicate a malignant or cancerous change. But most often, these are associated with benign and non-cancerous growths. The ultrasound is useful in younger women with more dense breast tissue, and this is also used to guide breast biopsies to look under a microscope. A breast biopsy will provide all the information to differentiate between an in-situ or in-face-proof breast disease. It can also be used to provide information including the grade and receptor status of the breast cancer, which has an effect on treatment. Fine needle aspiration isn't generally used to biopsy breast cancer, as it can only provide cytology information, which isn't as useful. I will just explain what the receptor status means. This is where the tumour expresses oestrogen, progesterone or HER2 receptors. A patient with triple negative breast cancer, which means they don't have any of these receptors, will likely have a worse prognosis than someone who is oestrogen and progesterone pro- positive. This is just the fact that some chemotherapy and hormonal therapy treatments can specifically target or block receptors which in turn stops or slows tumour growth. 
After a diagnosis of breast cancer is made, patients are discussed at a multidisciplinary team meeting where a treatment plan can be decided on. It might be required that breast cancer patients undergo further scans such as a PET, CT or MRI in order to establish just how far the breast disease has spread within the breast or if there's any metastatic lesions throughout the rest of the body. The most common places for breast cancer to spread are the bones, brain and liver. Broadly speaking, the management is based on whether any evidence of distant metastases has been identified or not. Distant means that the breast cancer spread outside the breast, chest wall and regional lymph nodes. If no evidence of spread is detected, then the aim is to cure the patient or at least prolong their lifespan. But if the presence of distant metastases or spread has been found, then treatment goal focuses on palliation or improving the quality of life. A surgical approach is the main method of treatment for most patients. Surgical treatment is the main method in most patients. Lumpectomy, which removes the tumour itself, can be just as effective as mastectomy, removal of the whole breast. But lymph node sampling can also be conducted at the same time of surgery to check if there is spread. This is known as sentinel lymph node biopsy. But some patients may need more extensive surgery to make sure there is full removal of the cancer. Adjuvant therapy is an additional treatment which can be given to certain patients. This is normally radiotherapy and is given daily for three weeks if a more extensive breast surgery is required. The adjuvant radiotherapy reduces the chance of local recurrence down to about 4%. But there's many side effects associated with this, such as being tired, local changes to the skin, swelling, and the breast tissue might shrink. Chemotherapy can also be used to reduce the tumour size before surgery and it can also be given as adjuvant chemotherapy post-surgically to reduce the chance of recurrence. Adjuvant chemotherapy is considered for patients of a higher risk of recurrence. The main criteria that would deem a patient to be high risk include being estrogen receptor negative, tumours greater than one centimetre in size, or lymph nodes which are found in the axilla or armpit to be involved in the disease. For patients who are estrogen receptor positive, the management is a wee bit different between pre and postmenopausal women. Selective estrogen mod receptor modulators or SERMs are indicated in premenopausal women, whilst aromatase inhibitors are the preferred treatment option in postmenopausal women. SERMs stimulate the estrogen receptors in the uterus and bones and block the receptors in the breast. This helps to reduce the risk of osteoporosis, but it is associated with an increased risk in endometrial cancer. The most commonly used serum is tamoxifen. In postmenopausal women, the use of aromatase inhibitors is preferred due to the action that aromatase has in fatty tissue. Aromatase converts androgens or male sex hormones to estrogen and is a main source of estrogen postmenopausal women. So, aromatase inhibitors block the conversion, which reduces estrogen levels. The most commonly used aromatase inhibitors include letrozole and astrozole, dexamethasone. Both of these therapies are recommended to last for between five and ten years.
for people who are HER2 receptor positive, neurotherapies can be used. Trastuzumab and pertuzumab are monoclonal antibodies, which are known as biologic therapy, to the HER2 receptor. But trastuzumab can have side effects that impact the heart. For individuals undergoing mastectomy or removal of the whole breast, reconstructive surgery is offered as a cosmetic approach. This can be carried out immediately after mastectomy or after a few months if they need to delay it. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow our social media platforms and tune in for the next episode on our cancer series on cervical cancer. If you enjoyed the episode, please do follow us at Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And a special thank you as this episode is made in collaboration with the Aberdeen University Hematology and Oncology Society. So don't forget to check them out on Facebook and Instagram. I've left a link to their Instagram description, which is chemo underscore ABDN. Also, please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and or colleagues. Thank you for support. If you've got any requests for future podcasts, please let us know. As a disclaimer, AUES is a student-led organisation and the content provided through Endopod is solely for informative purposes. This does not replace the advice of any doctor or any other healthcare professional. The medical students involved in the making of this episode are in the third year of the medical studies. All the information provided in this episode was researched on appropriate resources. To view them, please check the episode description.